in the, in the setting here of Joshua, Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. Moses has passed the torch onto him, and now they are in pursuit to take the land of Canaan. After all, that's what God promised them when he said, I'm gonna, you're going to be my people, I'm going to give you this land. And so they, they departed Egypt from that slavery, but they were in the wilderness there for a while. But eventually now, they come to the land of Canaan here. And so, when they, when they crossed uh, the Jordan River, as they, as they came across the Jordan River, the first city here that they took was Jericho. And we all know the story of them marching around Jericho, and, on that, and finally on that, on that seventh day, the walls came tumbling down and they fell inward, and the people of Israel were able to take Jericho. And, uh, and so from there, they saw the power of God on display. And I mean, they had seen the power of God on display before that they had even crossed uh, the Jordan River. And uh, by the crossing of the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea. But this gave them, uh, this gave them great victory. They felt God's presence. And they saw that he was faithful to his promise to give this, this land. And so what they did now is that after they conquered Jericho, the next one on the map for them was to attack Ai. And so they go over there and they begin to attack Ai, but there's a huge problem. They lose. And the reason why they lose is because of one man, Achan, who had taken the spoils from their battle here in Jericho, and because of his sin, the entire nation lost the battle here in Ai. Now, his sin was found out, and he was punished because of that. And then after he was, uh, he was punished by being stoned to death, and now after that had, been, that had been done, the Lord now tells Joshua, I want you to go and fight against Ai again. This time, I'm going to give you victory. And that is, that's exactly what happened. All the inhabitants of Ai uh, perished just as the Lord had promised, and that happens in Joshua chapter 8. Joshua 8. Now, from, this, from the victories the, of, of them taking Jericho and taking Ai, well, word was beginning to, to get around uh, to them, uh, to the various uh, cities uh, about the Israelites coming into this land. And uh, they, they had heard about what had happened there in Jericho. They had heard about what had happened there in Ai. And now they begin to be afraid. In fact, they were worried to the point that some of them got together and formed an alliance to fight against the Israelites. And this happens in chapter 9 of the book of Joshua. Now, you've got these people here in Gibeon, which is not too far from Ai. It's only five miles from Ai. And they, of course, just as the other cities, heard about the Israelites coming and perhaps the Gibeonites are thinking, well, we're the next one in line uh, to be conquered by these people. And they're afraid too. And But they, what they did, they kind of took a, a separate action. They didn't join the other cities in forming an alliance with them to attack Israel, but they thought of a plan to deceive the Israelites into forming an alliance between Gibeon and Israel. And so this is what they did. If you're taking notes, Joshua 9, verse 3. They chose some men to pretend to be ambassadors, and they brought along some choice items in order to kind of back the story of what they're going to tell the Israelites. And look here 
in chapter 9, verse number 4 and verse number 5. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins. Notice the word old. That's, that's very important for what we see here. Old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. They purposely gathered these items and they purposely dressed like this for a reason. And so they, they dress like this. They make their way now over there to Gilgal. So Gibeon to Gilgal, mind you, this is only about a 15-mile journey, which is pretty close. Now, and the Israelites are camped out here in Gilgal, and so they make their way over. And they, they said that they've come from this far country. And uh, they, uh, in Joshua chapter uh, 9 and verse 6, they've come from this far country. They said they wanted to make a treaty or a covenant with the Israelites. And so because of this, this is where Joshua begins to question them by asking, well, who are you guys and, and where, where have you guys come from? And so they answered again, they're from a very far country. And the reason why they had come all this way is because they had heard about the victories that they had. In fact, they, uh, they talked about how on the other side of the Jordan River that they had, uh, uh, that they had defeated the two kings of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. They had also heard about the exodus from Egypt. They had heard about the parting of the Red Sea, how they crossed on dry land. They had heard about the great things that God had done for them and provided this victory for the Israelites. And so they, they, they told them that we have come to you now under the advice of the elders so that we can make a treaty and all we want to do is just become your servants. That's all. And so they tried to convince the Israelites of this and they, what they end up now doing is showing them what they brought. Now they're given visual uh, kind of evidence of how they've come from this far country. Look now in verses 19, uh, uh, 19, or actually verses 12 and 13, again in Joshua 9. This is the bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it's dry and moldy. Is that right? No. It wasn't hot. It wasn't freshly baked. They purposely got old moldy bread. And verse 13, and these wineskins which we filled were new. Another lie. Again, we know they were old. And see, they are torn. And, and these, our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Another lie. So after the Gibeonites told this story and showed the Israelites the items, guess what? They believed them. They believed this lie. But in their decision to believe them, they made a huge mistake. If you're taking notes, note what is said in chapter 9 and verse 14. It says that they did not ask counsel of the Lord about this. They did not seek the Lord's guidance or approval for creating a treaty with the people whom God had promised that he would wipe out due to him giving the land of Canaan to the Israelites. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. 
And so from this, these people were invited to live among the Israelites, and, and of course, a covenant was made with these people. And so the Gibeonites' plans, well, they worked. Now, during the course of the next three days, the Israelites, of course, God had said that, that I'm giving you this land, and so the next course of action, we're going to go get some more cities. So over the next three days, what they do, they concentrate on this area right here of, uh, of fighting these people and taking these cities. But it happens pretty quick. As they're doing this, they quickly learn something. They quickly learn that those people there from Gibeon who had just approached them maybe a day or two before, they were lying about where they had come from. In fact, they said that they were neighbors who dwelt in a city close by. And because they had already established a covenant with them, guess what? They, they made an oath and they made a covenant, so therefore, they can't conquer anyone in here. And so what they do, they end up going back to Gilgal and telling Joshua and the leaders, guess what? We can't fight these people because you made a treaty with them. They told us a lie. And so Joshua approached the Gibeonites about this and asked them, why did you guys lie to us in making a treaty with you? And their answer was because they had feared that the Israelites would invade their city when they died uh, and, and that they would die. And, you know, that's a legitimate concern to be afraid that, you know, the Israelites are taking land and taking cities. So they were, all they were trying to do was just try their might to stay alive. But because Joshua and the leaders may had made an oath with their enemies, he told them, you know, we will not kill you, but this we will do. We're going to make you guys servants to us. You're going to be our woodcutters, and you're going to be our water carriers. So all this happened between Israel and Gibeon and the king of Jerusalem now, down here, well, he had heard about the treaty that went on between Gibeon and also of the Israelites. And that really concerned him because now, I mean, after all, the Israelites, they were already powerful. Now they've got the Gibeonites along with them. Now they're even more powerful. And so what he does is that he sends messages down here to these other kings and these other cities here. And he says, I want you guys to join forces with us and let's go up and let's attack these people. And so they, they banded together and what they ended up doing, they all went up to Gibeon and they surrounded that city and there they camped out in order to attack those people. Now the Gibeonites, when they saw what was happening here, they sent word over to Joshua, who again was over there in Gilgal, and he told them that they were under attack and that what they did, they said, come help us. And that's exactly what happened. Joshua gathered his army. The Lord spoke to Joshua and told him that you, I'm going to give you victory in battle against these kings of the south. Now, it took all night. But they finally were able to make it over there to, to Gibeon. And they reached the city by daybreak. And it was just as the Lord had said. I mean, the, Israel's really, the, the Israelites really took it to them. They slew the other armies attacking Gibeon. And what it ended up doing, as they were attacking these people, well, now the enemy, they were fleeing southwest. 
to that to around the, the part of uh, Jarmuth. And so the Israelites, they chased him, and they slew the armies there. And as more were fleeing from the Israelites, the Lord did something incredible as the enemy was fleeing. In fact, the Lord, the Lord had caused a giant hailstorm upon the enemies, and the hail was so large that it killed more men in those armies than the Israelites had actually killed with their swords. And what's even more remarkable to me is that none of the Israelites were harmed in this hailstorm. None. The power of God on display. That's remarkable. But that's not the only time the power of God was displayed on this day. Daylight was running out. Joshua knew that there were still more enemies to defeat. And so he wanted to carry this momentum of their battle against their enemy. And Joshua asked the Lord to do something that no man has ever done before. And so again, he asked the Lord this, this momentous task. Sun, stand still over Gideon, a moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, the moon stopped, and the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man from the Lord fought for Israel. And sure enough, God showed concern for his people and he granted Joshua's request. The sun and the moon stood still again for about a whole day. And you know what the result of all that was? The enemy was defeated. God provided victory. Just as he had told Joshua that he would provide victory. Again, he's faithful to what he promises. And from this awesome event in which there was no other day like it on earth, I believe we can learn a few, few things from it, especially about God. And that is, number one, God cares for his people. He does. What's amazing to me is how God still cares for people no matter what mistakes they make. And we know that Israel messed up. In fact, they messed up a lot of times, but in this particular occasion, they messed up big time by making a peace treaty with the enemy. And when Joshua began to prepare for battle, the Lord didn't approach Joshua and say, well, you know, because you guys made your enemy your friend and created this treaty and oath and covenant with them, I'm sorry, but you guys are on your own. I'm not going to be behind you. I'm not going to give you victory here. The Lord didn't say that. And the Lord didn't act that way because of the mistake that they had made. Even when they made the mistake, the Lord was still concerned about his people and he wanted them to be victorious and he was going to help them out. And you know, we're, we're like this with our children. I mean, we see our children make mistakes, possibly even when we, when we advise them, well, you ought not to do that. And sometimes our children make unwise decisions. So we see them fall, and we, we see them make mistakes. But even though our children might not listen to wisdom, or might not listen to advice, and they, we see them make decisions other than what we advise, does that mean that we just stop loving them because, well, they didn't listen to me? 
Absolutely not. In fact, we have so much love and concern and, concern and care for them that we want to be there to help them up, to help them out, and to pick them back up when they need help. That's how much we love our children. And when you consider God, we serve a God who loves us so much, and God wants to help us out in any way possible. And you know, sure, he's not going to provide a miracle of sending hailstones upon our enemies or make the, sand, uh, the sun stand still for us, but in, in whatever ways that are according to, to his time, in whatever ways that are, are according to his own will, though, he, he expresses his concern and his love toward us. In fact, Peter said this, and I love this, what Peter said in 1 Peter 5 or 7. He says, casting all your care upon him. The Lord wants us to do that. Why? For he cares for you. That's why. He cares for you. And he cares for me. <coughs> David wrote this when he was burdened. And thinking about his enemies. Psalm 55 verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord. And he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. I love the thought that whatever that any of us might be facing, no matter how big or how small it might be, God is concerned about it. And he is concerned about you facing that difficulty in life. And he's so concerned about it that he wants you to cast it upon him. He wants you to surrender it to him. So let me ask you this. How do we do that then? How do we cast all of our care upon him? He wants us to, but how? Well, there's a phrase in verse number 14 of our text here in Joshua 10 that provides a key on how we do that. And this, you know, the first few times when I, when I was reading this and studying this, it really didn't jump out until a few times later. That really caught my attention. And it's this phrase here that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. He heeded the voice of a man. Do you know why the moon and the sun stood still on that day? Because he listened to the voice of one man. It was Joshua's request. And that really struck me because I want you to think about this for a second. You know, I don't know, it was maybe a couple years ago that, uh, that they upgraded the lens in the Hubble telescope. And because they did that, we're able to see far deeper into outer space. And it's amazing how many more stars we can see. And considering that, it, it really puts into perspective how vast this universe is. And in the vastness of this universe... You've got planet Earth. And how big Earth is and all the people that are on it. Back then, you had the nation of Israel. And there's, there's, there's different speculations of how large the nation of Israel was. Some people say it might be a couple million people. But even among them, among those millions of people, you had one man. 
God was listening. And God heeded the voice of that one man. That's amazing to me. And when you think about that today, don't think that you are so small that God doesn't care about you. Don't think that you are so insignificant that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. And so he healed. He heeded the voice of one man back then, and he will heed to our voice even today. Yes, we might be, be only one voice, but he's still listening. Why? Because he cares. That's why. He cares. In God's infinite wisdom and power, he has the ability and concern to be listening to you and I. And, he do, and he's able to, to heed to our voice through prayer. He has blessed us greatly with this privilege. <coughs> and what he wants us to do, he wants us to use it. And he's right there waiting to listen when we do use it. And indeed, our Lord cares about us and cares about what's happening in our lives and wants to help. But how can, we, how can, he, he, how can he help if he, never, if he never hears us, if we never reach out to him? How can he help if we don't give a, vo a voice to heed to? I like what it says here in 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, now this is the confidence. I like that word. This is the confidence that we can have in him. That if we ask anything, really anything, well, there's a caveat to that because the writer says, well, it has to be according to his will when we ask. So what about that? If we ask anything according to his will, what will happen? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, again, according to his will, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And so we have confidence that God is listening. But we have to take the advantage of prayer. We have to. Maybe sometimes we don't seek God for help in prayer because we might not think that it's significant enough. Or maybe it's just, just a small thing. Maybe we try to reason within our own minds that perhaps God, God really can't help me out in this situation. Listen. If God was so concerned about a monumental request from one man to make the sun stand still and he performed that miracle, don't you think that he can handle little things that you and I have to deal with in our lives? I mean, he absolutely can help us, and he will help us, and he has helped us in the past. And so this is, since this is true, all the more reason to follow the exhortation to what is written in 1 Thessalonians 5 or 17 to pray without ceasing. Use every opportunity that you have to give a voice to God. Let Him know what you need. Also praise Him for who He is. Thank Him for what He's done for you in the past because God is good. He is. It brings us to our next observation about God He's in control. He's in control. You know, when skeptics look at this account here in Joshua 10, they take a look at this and say that everyone knows that it's the earth, not the sun, which moves. And so what's described here can't possibly be accurate of the sun standing still. 
But when you look at this passage at face value, what happened and what is being described here is that the earth, for several hours, stopped rotating on its axis and stopped rotating around the sun. And of course, the moon was affected by all this, and quite possibly the entire solar system might have stopped its moments for those several hours. And some might object to that and say, that, well, that, well, if that happened, the result would be total chaos throughout the earth and maybe throughout the entire universe. Well, not so. Because God, if he so desired, would have the power to put everything on hold and see to it that no consequences would result from that. Some others might object to it and say that for the sun and the moon to stand still, well, that's simply contrary to the laws of nature. But what are the laws of nature? Well, they are simply the processes which God has set in motion. And because God is sovereign and because he, he can alter and because he can suspend and he can reverse or even counsel those processes at any time that he wants, he can do that. In fact, that's what a miracle is. It is when some usual pattern of nature is changed or when it's interrupted due to God intervening in that particular aspect. It's not reasonable to think that God would allow himself to be the prisoner of what he has created. And when we think it like that, we limit God's power. We do. And any man that has enough sense to make a clock uh, to make a clock certainly has enough sense to stop it, doesn't he? And surely a God who could speak a universe into existence can do anything that he pleases with that universe and its various components. He has the power of what he has created and not just create something and stand back and say, well, that's all I could do with that. I can't do anything else with it. We can't limit God's power in that way. God is all wise. And God is all-powerful. And if in our own logic, in our own reasoning, if we rule out miracles in the Bible, we have to rule out the virgin birth of Christ. We have to rule out the resurrection of Jesus Christ and a whole host of other biblical events. Either God could do anything or he is not truly God. And so this passage, it reminds us that God, God is in control. And God is in control of this universe. Now, there is, of course, much that we don't understand, such as, you know, why natural catastrophes happen, why terrible diseases occur. In the Bible, God reveals his purpose for, for some things that happen, maybe some earthquakes that happen, maybe some diseases that happen. And we have a little bit of an insight of, on why those things happen and how God intervenes throughout the scriptures. But in the vast majority of cases, we might never understand why things happen in this life. But here's the advice of one poet regarding life's mysteries. He says, all God's testings have a purpose. Someday you will see the light. All he asks is that you trust him. Walk by faith and not by sight. See, the Bible reminds us again and again that, it is, that this is not an impersonal world, that God, God didn't create this universe, wind it up like a clock, and then simply remove himself from it. And the reassuring truth is that God is actively involved. He is actively involved in the affairs of this world and the individual lives of people. And in spite of what little we may understand, we can be comforted by the fact that God is in charge.
We can. Now, this is shown time and time throughout the scriptures to where he's been in control of kingdoms and nations. We've seen how he's risen up rulers and then brought them down. We've seen how he's done that with nations as well. We've seen how he was in control of his his son coming to this world and making a way for us to be saved. And he's still in control today, whomever he rises up in power. No matter if we might grumble about it, no matter if we might be angry about who who might be the, uh, the leader, no matter what laws might be passed in this nation, no matter who might be in the White House, God is still in control of, uh, of all these things. He's in control of granting salvation to those who accept the gospel of Christ. He's still in control and will always be in control. Why? Because he's the creator of all things. That's why. Let us never limit his ability or think that he can never help. Again, we go to him in prayer on many occasions. Why? Because we understand that he can help because he's in control. He has that power. And we praise him because he has that power. We praise him for that. You know, Joshua, (coughs) excuse me, this poem I want to leave with you this morning or this afternoon says Joshua and his army had put the enemy to flight. But they were afraid they couldn't finish for they were running out of light. Then Joshua prayed, O Lord, please give me more daylight on this hill. And God performed a miracle and made the sun stand still. Now our God doesn't make the sun stand still just every day. In fact, he only did that once, but that's enough, I say, to show that he's in charge of all and that he has the power to do whatever his will on any day or hour. So when your heart is hurting and there seems to be no way, to find relief or even just to make it through the day. With faith in Christ, call the Lord, don't hesitate to plead. And he who made the sun stand still will also meet your need. Aren't you glad you serve a God like that? Aren't you glad you're able to come and worship a God like that? Aren't you glad that you serve a God who cares about you? All glory to him. He is good. And he is great. And he deserves our praise. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.